All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here for yet another episode of the Resource Insider Podcast, Quarantined Edition. I am still um, quarantined, I guess, up in Whistler at the moment. I've got two days left on my sentence. After that, I might go out and roll in the grass or do something like that. I don't think I've seen the sun in a while, so that's going to be nice. In today's interview, we're going to be talking to two gentlemen that I've been talking to many, many times over the last couple of years. Uh, we've collaborated on things with them. Uh, they're great dudes who have extremely, extremely interesting opinions and valuable opinions on the uranium space. And that is, another than, blah, that is none other than Mike Elkin and his analyst, Tim Chirelli. And today we're going to talk about how coronavirus and all this crazy shit that's going on in the world is actually impacting the uranium and the nuclear sectors. This is something I haven't seen a lot about. Um, there's a lot of you out there that are definitely going to be thinking about this. So we're going to get into the weeds a little bit on that. And uh, without further ado, Mike, Tim, thanks for sitting down with me today. No, you're welcome. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. Absolutely. So, Mike, I, uh, you know, I almost think I need to have you lead this conversation and just tell me what it is I exactly need to know. Um, <laughs> you're really the uranium guru in this space. But let's start by talking about how you guys are, are handling this crisis, what you're doing, and what you're spending your day on. Yeah, that's a good question, Jamie. We're uh, spending our day looking at opportunities, um, financing opportunities, uh, looking and spending our time doing the macro uranium and looking at companies. Nothing has, from a fundamental supply-demand standpoint, over a period of time, and as you know, as a mining guy, when you need a mine, you don't just snap your finger and it's there. Um, so, you know, this, this, this dreaded virus that is, in, uh, that is enveloping the, the world, hopefully sooner rather than later, and Lord knows I know nothing about that, but hopefully sooner rather than later, it, it starts to to fade and we see the numbers and, and the world get back, gets back to normal. And at the end of the day, from Tim and I's perspective, you still have a uh, supply demand situation that's going to require a significant amount of new supply coming online over the next number of years. Uh, and you know, our view is we believe that horse has already left the barn. And when, and when you look at the market caps of the <clears throat> developers who can come in, um, they've been decimated, uh, many of them, and that just makes the chances of those mines becoming uh, projects sooner rather than later from a financing perspective more difficult, which means that there's going to be more of a shortage, which we think leads to a higher price. So from our standpoint, the day-to-day, -day, nothing's really changed. From a demand standpoint, the aggregate demand around the world is, is quite diversified in 30, 31 countries. Will, will you see a hiccup in demand? Probably a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. it'd be, it'd be naive to say probably not, but does that affect purchasing patterns over the long term and the contracting cycle? We don't think so. We, we think it actually, Jamie, heightens the awareness of where utilities are and that the risk has gone from the suppliers, the producers is now being more borne by the utilities because they have been staying out of the market longer than we think they should, and we think they know they should. Uh, and aggregate supply is highly, highly concentrated. We just saw Cameco take down uh, Cigar Lake for four weeks. We yep. personally think four weeks is, what's going to happen in four weeks? Is COVID going to go away? Probably not. Um, you know, and, and some have wanted to see uh, Cameco 
bring Cigar Lake down anyway. Um, other mines around the world, if you're in Shimkent, Kazakhstan, where most of the JVs are, a, a large city where some of those miners go back and forth, there's risk there. Um, same thing with Olympic Dam, working elongated shifts. So we think you're going to see that the awareness of a very highly concentrated supply base transfer uh, more abilities right. Tim and I believe inventory levels are below desired levels, at or below desired levels, depending on the utility. So, you know, it's almost surprising to me that Cameco shut down Cigar Lake given the relatively remote location it is in. You'd think they would be able to put the measures in place to sort of protect that uh, supply chain. Do you think, you know, do you think perhaps COVID is an excuse for that, to, to shut that down and say, look, you know, it's at these prices, it's not making a lot of sense to mine. Maybe we use this as an opportunity to sort of let the world know that uh, <laughs> they're going to need more uranium pretty soon. Yeah, I, it, it certainly could be. Um, look, if you think about the leverage that Cameco and Kazakhstan have, or have over the market from just the sheer size of how much they produce, and if, if you were listening to Gollum Permatov, the CEO of, of, of Kazataprom at the BMO conference just recently, where they, they said it's all about supply discipline, they have no interest in taking market share. And if I'm Cameco, uh, and you know, you see, investors focus on the spot market. So if I'm Cameco and I've signed 36 million pounds in the prior year in 2019, yet the price reporters are reporting the best offer on those off-market discussions, not the actual prices where those contracts were signed, I might be a little frustrated. And investors tend to focus on spot market in uranium, which is really just a surplus disposal market for a handful of pounds, because most of it is trader churn. So, but investors focus on that. And so if I'm Cameco, if Tim's Cameco, I, why not take Cigar Lake down? Uh, because at the end of the day, the uncovered requirements, we believe, from doing our own analysis of the market is significantly greater what the market might think. And we think utilities know that. So we think that they can, they can move prices. Sure. So, and maybe maybe one, one other thing just to add to that, uh, Jamie, is, you know, the mines are one thing. And I think a lot of people are looking at the first order consequences of the mines and the available supply and, and how the situation is evolving. I think it's also important to understand that the fuel cycle, the entire fuel cycle conversion has left. Uh, there's one facility left in the Western world that's open up in Canada outside Toronto, which is significantly more populated and less remote than uh, Cigar Lake uh, up in northern Saskatchewan. You have fuel bundle facilities around the world that are not in uh, particularly remote locations as well. So the utilities are looking all along the fuel cycle, ensuring that fuel assemblies are being completed and uh, can be delivered. Um, even the transportation themselves, can these things be moved around the world right now as needed? So they're looking at the full picture, um, whereas investors sure are looking at the mines, but there are other uh, areas and, and second order effects as well too. And, and Jamie, from our perspective, this is all cosmetics on the outside because the market's healing underneath where Cameco is adding those pounds. They're getting the price they want. Investors like to stare at a spot price and that is what it is. So uh, if Cameco does keep Cigar Lake off longer, you still have to have some pounds come in. And don't for a second kid yourself, some of these traders are net short uranium. 
And some of those guys are, are uh, because it's been easy, it's been uh, to, to do that for a while. Now, the price of physical uranium is up 40, 45% from the bottom. Even since 232, it's up a little bit, but yeah. it hasn't just jumped, right? And I say the physical spot price, because that's what everyone focuses on because of the nuances and the opaqueness of this industry. And so, you know, Cameco has to balance their customers, the utilities, versus their investors, the equity and debt investors. So equity and debt investors, because there's only really one thing they look at, because most people aren't spending their time in the fuel cycle, is that spot price, which we think is not a great indicator. But if those, if those mines come offline, you will need to see more buying. Uh, so it's more optics for seeing the spot price move than what's really taking place in, in the term contracting uh, side of the market. So Mike, you know, you just mentioned that the, the actual physical, the price of physical uranium, the spot price is holding up well. Tim, before we got on the call or before we started recording, you and I were discussing uh, this and I was saying, you know, equities and uranium, like pretty much everything else have been hammered, uh, but that the, the actual physical uranium is holding up well. What do you guys see this as? You know, you manage your uranium focus fund. Is this a buying opportunity? And if there are people out there who are either already in the uranium space or new to it and they're thinking maybe now's the time to enter, you know, is it or is it, is it a wait and see situation? Do you have a view sure. on that? Maybe I'll touch on the, the physical first, um, and then Mike can touch on, on anything else thereafter. You know, we were very surprised, even going before the, the crisis kind of uh, went around the world and it's front page news for everyone. You know, we were looking at the physical market saying, you know, we're coming into March again. Uh, this is the, for those that don't know in Japan, the fiscal year end uh, for those companies are March 31st. You know, going back years and years and years, every single March, uh, the uranium price, the spot price, the physical price has sold off uh, because people are cleaning up their books, traders are getting things off, uh, just clearing them off. So we were expecting, you know, maybe some weakness coming into this before this crisis appeared. So for the physical price has had every reason on earth to sell off. You've seen um, significant liquidity problems across asset classes everywhere in the world. You've seen the Kazakh Tenge get uh, hammered uh, because the Russian ruble got hammered because oil got hammered. Uh, you've seen just talked about the Japanese fiscal year end and traders. So th this market has had every reason to sell off. And not only did it not sell off, uh, the market ticked up a little bit before the Cigar Lake news. Then of course the Cigar Lake news came just uh, about 36, 48 hours ago, and we've moved up some, you know, 10 percent or so since then. So very interesting just to watch the dynamics that this market has held up throughout. Uh, before before the Cigar Lake announcements. Uh, so we found that to be extraordinarily positive for the market, basically indicating to us that people are not willing to sell this market down and to liquidate stocks at lower prices to get out of these positions quickly. You know, Jamie, we, Jamie, we, we see some people try and draw a corollary, <clears throat> especially the little gad, uh, the gadflies in the, in the nuclear industry. Um, yep. Uh, well, hey, you know, those, those financial guys are going to, those hedge fund guys are going to unload those physical positions like they did in the last cycle. Well, what they forget is those, first of all, uh, those very, very few financial players own, own the physical uranium right now. You could count them on, on probably one hand. Um, number two, in that last cycle, they were buying it as it was ripping. The price was going parabolic. And yep. 
and <clears throat> and they were holding on to it, right? But they weren't buying down at the bottom. They were buying at near and at near the top. And then when the GFC came, they liquidated. So because the the pervasive recency bias in this industry and those who make their living from this industry is orders of magnitude greater than anything I've ever seen, that they go looking for reasons to stay bearish. And so, uh, you know, we've heard there's too much supply. Well, the world just kind of melted down in the last month and the price of physical uranium is up. And people say, oh, well, Cigar Lake closed. Well, yeah, that's what happens. And if you think fuel buyers and traders are not concerned about that, the price wouldn't have done anything. They would have said, ah, we have plenty of supply. And we've maintained, Tim, is, Tim used to be a physical trader, uh, not of uranium, but other commodities. And this is so opaque, it's beyond anything Tim has, has seen from an opaqueness standpoint. And, and if there was too much supply out there, you'd be seeing these prices get hammered, we think. And, and, and instead, they're going up. So how are you guys uh, handling this at Satchem Cove? Are you repositioning your portfolio at all? Are you waiting and seeing? Are there any changes to what you're doing or is it just you know, waiting out the us, storm? It's kind, of, it's kind of business as usual. We've added uh, a couple of our favorite holdings have been right along for the ride on the way down and we have some cash around and we put them to work and we've not every single day, I would say almost every day though we've been, we've been buying and um, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've seen crises before. This one's different, right? Because most people who are digesting all of this news, you, you can't process it. We're not scientists. We're not doctors. So yeah. there's that unknown, right? And markets hate uncertainty. But at the end of the day, the way we view this is, you know, baseload clean carbon power, which nuclear is, um, we, we don't think you're going to see much of a demand hiccup. And we feel really comfortable that there's a supply shortage. So for us, uh, if the market hysteria uh, causes people to sell because they're nervous, we understand that. If there's liquidations that are taking place at funds and they have to sell, um, you know, we, we step in and, and buy equity. So we really haven't done anything. As for what you asked me earlier, what individuals should do, you know, we, Tim and I never talk publicly about what people should do. Um, that's their own thing, their own level of risk reward, their comfort level. Um, you know, I could just say what we're doing. All right. So, you know, you touched on this earlier, Mike, but uranium has been a very small part of your career. You've been a financial uh, journalist. You've been a professional uh, short seller and you've been in, a, you know, you've been in fund and portfolio management for decades talking more generally about what's going on right now, have you seen anything like this in your career? We've had parallels to the crisis in the eighties, to the global financial crisis, to the great depression. Do you think any of that does it justice or is this a unique situation about what's going on in the world right now? I think it's unique. Uh, you know, I think back to the periods of time since I was really in the hedge fund business as an analyst and then a portfolio manager going in, you know, 95, six, seven in that time frame on forward so I've lived through the Asian financial crisis. I've lived through the internet bubble, the global financial crisis. There's always a crisis every few years, it seems. Um, the, di the difference is, you know, if you go back the internet bubble, uh, it was goofy. It was, I mean, people were making a lot of money, but even though I was newer in my career, those who were, I was around that were very experienced folks, you know, taught, this doesn't last. And, and, and here's why this is going to pop. 
Um, you get to the global financial crisis and the feds and the coordinated feds around the world can throw the kitchen sink at it. And they did to try and get the economy going. You know, the 10 year note in the U S at the time was 6%. In in August 07, the S and P was around 1500. It came down to 750 ish earnings came down 50 ish percent, but at, at, but, but stocks bottomed at around 13, 14 times earnings and they started moving higher because the, the kitchen sink worked, right? Here, the, more, the greater unknown is what's going to happen from this virus. Now, you know, I, I know nothing about <laughs> infectious diseases. I know nothing about anything. But I'm looking at the numbers that are coming in, which for every death and illness is horrible. But uh, the, <clears throat> at some point, you have, from what I understand, this starts to work its way through. And then life comes back to normal a little bit. Now, the, my concern is for my friends and, and, and people around the world and the country who are small business people, right? How do they survive this? Right, the people in your hometown, in my hometown, who are yeah, who are relying upon this—that's a big, big number, you know. So, uh, what what type of, from my view, it's got to be fiscal policy that that helps um, to get these people up and running, uh, and that's something that you don't know what the lingering effects will be on the overall yeah. economy from the overall market, you know. So, yeah, it's it's tricky. Yeah, and I also well, think unique time as well, just from a financial perspective of just thinking about one of the things I think a, an immense amount about is the plumbing of the markets, the avenues in which capital move around. You know, 20 years ago, uh, there wasn't this prevalence of ETFs and passive investing strategies. And, and there's, a, as well as other things, I mean, ETFs are just one example of where everyone's kind of in the same boat. They want to get out at the same time and there's some of yep. those issues but even just over the last 10 years the the loss of active management the loss of people running long short books people pure short sellers who are organic buyers on the way down to to get out of their short positions uh th these types of strategies have not worked for close to 10 years until very very recently um whereas in times past you know even in 08 or certainly 2000 and years prior there was probably a little bit more diversity of strategies out there and how quickly the capital moves around the world, uh, social media, um, and how quickly information is distributed. I mean, I've never seen moves uh, this fast and price things in so, so quickly, um, seemingly in minutes rather than maybe in literally hours or days or weeks. So that's yeah. been, uh, certainly a change to, that, that we've seen. Tim, do you think, you know, and I'm, I guess I'm asking you to speculate here, but sure. do you think that, you know, the impact of this could have an, an effect on these ETFs on passive, passive money and push capital back into more actively managed funds and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it sure could. I mean, from a big lens of the world, I mean, talking, you know, 30,000 feet, the world has changed. Overnight, the world has changed and people may push back on that, but it's going to affect all of us um, in so many different ways that we haven't even thought of yet. And I would not be surprised if we saw some capital move back into active management where people say, maybe it's important that people analyze businesses. Maybe it's important that people look at balance sheets and understand the leverage of companies. And maybe we shouldn't have all of our money playing those games alongside everybody else. Uh, 
I mean, could certainly be wrong. Maybe this is a big, big speed bump and we go back to the way the world was. But I, I think this will fundamentally change uh, economies, the monetary yeah. system. You know, th this is going to have long lasting impacts uh, for, for, for a very long time, I suspect. Well, you guys live in a country and, and Canada is no different where I think it's the average person, something like 80 percent, couldn't afford uh, like an extra, an un. Uh, an unexpected $400 bill in a given month, yeah. right? Yeah. So at a time where they're shutting down basically any sort of blue collar labor job. So in Vancouver here, I know a lot of people who work in the film industry, in the theater industry, done, gone. Everyone's laid off. Every bartender, every hotel staff, probably most airline staff. So you've got this entire section of the workforce that's sitting at home, can't pay their bills. I mean, Trump started talking about this, I think it was yesterday, uh, which was Tuesday, that, you know, the cure is kind of worse than the disease and that he wants to get the economy up and going again because people are underappreciating, uh, you know, the death toll or the impact that, that uh, you know, such a reduced economy uh, will have on everyday people. And that's very really hard math to do, and I don't know how you do it, but okay. I do think... It it's is like, like something company. that needs to be considered. It's sorry, Mike. You know, it, it's because there are human lives in place, right? You got you think back to the in in the seventies. I think it was the exploding Ford Pinto uh, gas tanks, and, and was there a cost benefit analysis done? Well, do we recall them all and put new tanks in, or do we? What's it going to cost to pay out on a life? And that's that's awful, right? To think like that. Um, uh, but I'm sure governments and, and companies do think like that. Um, so, yeah, the question is here, when do you get them back? And then, you know, I, I, was, I say to my wife, and I talk to Tim, you know, all day, is uh, it's tricky in terms of you, the, ac the accuracy of the information that you're getting. And I don't think in my career, just as a, per forget career, but as a person, consuming information, and again, uranium is a different beast, right? So but from a, just a person trying to digest as a father, worrying about my children who are teenagers, well, how does this affect them from a health standpoint? The information you get is all over the place and because people don't know. So as I think through this, you know, uh, you start to think about it, when does it start to peak and when does it start to slow down? And at what point do they say, I, Tim, were you telling me the other day it was $32 billion per death somebody had tweeted or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I had seen that statistic out there, which is, uh, you know, I, I, it's just, just a brutal statistic to even talk about. It's a about brutal for, statistic for, for to even talk about, purposes. right? And it's it's horrible because you don't, there, there is no value you can place on, on a human life. Yeah. Uh, but, but at what point does it become, do the, do the health experts think that it's, it's enough in the community where there's... Uh, antibodies build up and you can maybe uh, go to work. I, you know, that's outside, way above my pay grade. I try and process is it ju just like everyone else. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, you know, there are real implications of economies going down on people's lives, on people's livelihoods and on, on, yeah. on, on death rates. People. And I think actuaries could probably speak to this. I know every percentage unemployment yeah. goes up or the GDP yeah. goes down. There are suicides and deaths and, and all the Absolutely. things associated with that. So it's, it's hard math to do. Mike, um, we're going to go on now to a, a private call where, for our members only, where we're going to talk a little bit more about what Satchin Cove is doing. I know a lot of our members have money either directly or indirectly in your fund. 
But for our, for our public component of this, is there any parting thoughts that you or Tim want to leave people with that they should be thinking about or considering at this time or where they can find out more about what you're doing? I mean, from a macro, the global perspective, I just hope everyone's safe and, and well. I have no particular insights more than anyone else uh, on, on where the market goes or, you know, the overall equity markets or the world. Um, so, you know, from our Uranium perspective, uh, we feel, uh, I don't want to say like, yeah, I guess we do feel like kids in a candy store in terms of where equity prices have gone to versus where the fundamentals are. Um, so that's just our, our view on that. As in terms of what we do, you know, we're a closed private partnership uh, with um, that, that invests across the, the fuel cycle uh, in both private and public investments. And, you know, we, we, it ranges from owning properties that have uranium in the ground uh, or owning individual public equities. Yeah, and just from my perspective, you know, I certainly echo Mike's sentiment and uh, it, it, this will cause me, I was speaking with a friend uh, two nights ago that I will need to take some time and I'm sure a lot of people around the world will have to take some time to reassess risk. You know, I, I, as a person in this industry who thinks a lot about downside, thinks a lot about risk, whether it's financial or otherwise in my life, because it just kind of permeates everywhere in my life. Um, Thought I was pretty well prepared for a lot of things, and uh, this is definitely going to be one where uh, we'll need to reevaluate things and reevaluate risk, not just in markets, but uh, you know, everyday life as well. Because because again, the world has changed, um, and we will remember this for a very very long time. I think uh, that's a hundred percent right, Tim. And I think we're going to be seeing not only investors do that, but you know, people that have never invested in their lives, and every government around the world is going to be changing the way they prepare for something like this, and potentially hopefully other unforeseen but highly potential events. So gents, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day. Uh, obviously stay safe and uh, we'll Jamie. talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. See you. All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers.